Welcome to the Historias podcast. I'm Foster Chamberlain. Thousands of Moroccans fought in the Spanish Civil War, but few know what the experience was like for these men beyond propagandistic stereotypes. Joining me today to discuss this Moroccan experience in the war is Dr. Ali Altuma, author of the recent book, Guns, Culture, and Moors, Racial Perceptions, Cultural Impact, and the Moroccan Participation in the Spanish Civil War, 1936 to 1939. So Ali, welcome to the program. Thank you. Before we begin, I also wanted to thank one of our listeners for suggesting this episode's topic. If there's an as aspect of Iberian history that you would like to have featured on the podcast, please do let us know using the contact form at historiaspodcast.org. I wanted to start out with some of the basics here um, and ask you if you could summarize for us what was the relationship that Spain had with Morocco at the beginning of the 20th century? Well, that relationship started uh, actually with the war against the United States in 1898. Uh, as you know, Spain lost that war and then uh, they lost uh, most of their colonial possessions in uh, Puerto Rico, but also in the Philippines and Cuba, most importantly. So after that disaster, uh, that was suffered by the Spanish state, the navy, and the army. The Spanish uh, military wanted to regain some prestige. They did that by looking for new colonies. And of course, the closest thing that was there was uh, Morocco on the other side. And at the time, the international situation and the rivalry that was there between different European powers on Morocco helped. Uh, the Spaniards to, to, to achieve that uh, resurgence as a colonial power. So you had the uh, Algeviras conference in 1906, where uh, Morocco was going to be divided between France and Spain, and of course, Tangier as an international zone. So uh, France got uh, to have the majority of Morocco as a protectorate. Under its, uh, under its power, and Spain gained the northern part of Morocco, which is comprises uh, the Reef region, Jebala, but also uh, the region of Ifni to the south and the Sahara. So that's basically how the new uh, colonial uh, adventure for Spain started, but it did not go easily at the beginning. Trying to expand uh, their power, they met resistance uh, uh, by the uh, Moroccan tribes. And the Spanish army uh, made use of uh, alliances with some uh, pro-Spanish uh, tribes. In around 1909, um, they realized after a series of disasters that they needed to create a professional uh, Moroccan uh, army under their power in order to uh, mainly uh, reduce the number of Spanish casualties uh, in Morocco, because there were a lot of protests in Spain. So they uh, created this uh, Regulares uh, Corps that comprised uh, a majority of Moroccan soldiers, but also a smaller uh, percentage of Spanish soldiers, and of course, commanded by Spanish officers. And uh, they used that army uh, to uh, expand their influence in Morocco. Those who are interested in Moroccan history, of course, that know that uh, the Spanish expansion in northern Morocco met with a fierce resistance uh, in 1920 uh, at the hand of uh, Mohammed bin al Khattabi, who was the chief of the Beni Buriyadu tribe and who managed to uh, attract uh, more tribes to his cause 
um, which resulted in the Moroccan uh, colonial wars that uh, lasted from 1920 until 19, early 1927. One of uh, its most uh, famous episodes was the disaster at Anwal, where the Spanish army lost about somewhere between eight to 10,000 soldiers. One of, that was one of the biggest colonial disasters in European history. But, uh, the Spaniards managed to win that war in the end by the use of uh, brutal means, also the use of chemical weapons, and in collaboration with uh, France that uh, allied itself to Spain. And after that, uh, well, pacification was uh, achieved and uh, Spain remained uh, the colonial power in Morocco until 1956, when uh, both the French part and the Spanish part gained independence. So these colonial forces that the Spanish um, created, these regulares, actually became some of the most elite units in the Spanish army, huh? The thing is that the Moroccan units, and as, as well as the, uh, the Spanish uh, Foreign Legion, mm -hmm. which despite its name was formed mainly by Spanish soldiers, not, not foreign soldiers, uh, they were the only uh, troops in the Spanish army that had actual combat experience. The rest of the Peninsula Army did not have that experience and was riddled with corruption and uh, an inflation of officers relative to, to soldiers. So the Africa uh, Army, which was formed by the, by the Regularis and the, the, the Foreign Legion, uh, was the only, the, the only effective part of the Spanish Armed Forces. So when the military coup was launched in July 1936, that started the civil war in Spain itself, these Moroccan forces overwhelmingly immediately sided um, on the side of the rebellion. So why did they do that uh, so quickly and strongly side for the rebellion? Well, most of uh, historians uh, explain that by the personal bonds these troops had with their leaders. Uh, they did not have any particular loyalty to some far government in, in, in Madrid. And uh, the Spanish government in Morocco itself was a military affair. The tribes were all supervised by these uh, military controllers. And uh, the high commissioner in Tatuan, which was the capital of Spanish Morocco, was also uh, a military man. And since these, most of these commanders in Morocco sided with the rebellion, well, it naturally followed that their troops also sided with them. Could you also briefly describe for us what were the ways in which these Moroccan troops um, fought in Spain on the nationalist side? And um, what sort of units um, were they fighting in there in Spain? Um, most of the Moroccan units were, of course, uh, in, in the regulares. But uh -huh. they, you had also the, the so-called uh, Mahallas, which were nominally troops that belonged to the Moroccan government, but they were also officered by, by, by Spaniards. Uh, so these troops uh, were moved uh, to Spain at the, at the beginning of the, um, of the rebellion. Uh, well, actually a small part was moved by ships, but then the uh, Navy, uh, the, the, the sailors uh, rebelled against their officers and sided, the Spanish sailors rebelled against their officers and sided with the Republic. So now we had the problem of how to transport the army of Africa to, to Spain, because the rebellion in Spain itself had failed in many uh, parts of Spain and, and, and most importantly, the, the biggest cities in Madrid and Barcelona and Valencia, uh, they had failed. 
so how to bring them and, and this, was, this was the time that uh, the emissaries of the Spanish nationalists went to Mussolini and to Hitler to ask for uh, uh, aerial transports and then these uh, Savoya and Juncker 52 airplanes were dispatched to Morocco where they uh, transported thousands of Moroccan troops to southern Spain and from there they started to spread in Andalusia and in Extremadura and uh, for the next few weeks and months managed to defeat uh, the Republican uh, armies which in in many times were formed by militiamen who had experience in fighting in cities, but mm -hmm. not in on the countryside. So they would stick to the roads, uh, and they were easily enveloped by by the Moroccan troops who had more uh, experience in in uh, in this kind of combat. Do you think that it would be fair to say that these Moroccan troops were really kind of the key to uh, Franco's victory? They were certainly key in preventing a nationalist defeat mm -hmm. at the early stages of the war. But uh, and, and the more the war progressed, and uh, uh, of course, an, a bigger nationalist army was being formed by mobilizing uh, military aged men in Spain, the, the less important the role of the Moroccans became. Uh, but of course, they still they still played a, a, a great part in, 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 in many major offensives that the, the Francoists launched during, uh, during the war. I was also just wanted to ask you how many Moroccans did wind up fighting uh, in Spain during the war? The figure that is now uh, generally accepted is about 80,000 mm -hmm. uh, total. Although I think that at any given time, no more than around 40,000 were present in Spain. Okay, but still quite a, quite a large number. Yes, um, indeed, yeah. yeah and, and they were all volunteers as well. They were all volunteers. Uh -huh. Okay, so we'll take a short pause and then we'll look a bit more at um, who these men were that fought in these Moroccan for, uh, forces and how they were recruited. So I want to speak a bit more about um, some of your findings in the research that you've done about these Moroccan fo forces. Could you start by telling us what kind of research um, you carried out to find out what these experiences were like for the Moroccans who fought in Spain? Well, in, in addition uh, to archival research, uh, research that I did in, in, in Spain, I uh, managed to do some interviews with uh, Moroccan veterans, uh, both in Morocco, but also in, uh, in the Spanish enclave of uh, Ceuta. And I was lucky to, uh, 
uh, to find these very, very old men who were in the late 80s and some of them early 90s, uh, but still with some powerful uh, memories and uh, retention of detail. I, I, I was uh, uh, I was lucky because uh, you know the first one I interviewed I think he he passed away but ten days later. Wow. So yeah, so I think I I might have been one of the historians who who managed like a last minute uh, uh, rescue of these memories. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think um, that's something that really struck me reading your book is that if you had carried out that research even a few years later, it, it just might not have been possible any longer to contact these people. Yeah. So how was it that these Moroccans were usually recruited to fight in the war? And what kind of backgrounds did they usually come from? The majority were recruited, of course, from northern Morocco, but uh, some of them were from the Sahara and others came from French Morocco. The thing is, for many of them, their economic, their bad economic situation was a kind of a, a motivation to, to, to go and enlist. They, they heard that there were job opportunities and that the Spanish war was not going to last for long. So uh, the risk would be not too great. Mm -hmm. And there had been a failure of um, harvest in that year and the year before, so that that uh, the, the, the opportunity to enlist and to, to, to gain some work uh, uh, was for these people kind of important. But uh, a big uh, role was being played by the tribal leaders who were allied to the Spanish uh, officers, uh, the Spanish military controllers in different zones of Morocco. And then they mobilized their, uh, their tribe members to, in order to, to, to enlist. But, uh, not uh, the economic uh, motives for these men were not uh, the only motives there. Some of them would recount later that uh, they went to, to, they were young men who were bored and then they wanted to, 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 to follow some, uh, some short adventure in a foreign country that they never seen and uh, gain some experience. So different mo motives. Of course, it actually did wind up being quite dangerous for the Moroccans who served in the war, right? I think you said the casualty weight was something like 25%, is that right? Well, the lowest range is about 14%, okay. which is yet higher than the average for the Spanish Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, and then more than 20% for the higher range, depending on, on, on what figures you accept. Now, what kinds of propaganda did the Spanish nationalists also use to try and gain support and volunteers for the war effort in Morocco? They presented this war against the Spanish Republic as a war of uh, religions that's uh, against atheism that is, was trying to destroy all kind of organized religion. And mm -hmm. the message was, uh, if these Reds, if these communists in, in Madrid manage to win the war in Spain, then they will destroy not only Catholicism, but they will come to Morocco and destroy uh, the Islamic faith as well. So they would tell their recruiters that you are not only defending Spain, but you are actually defending your own faith in, in Morocco. And uh, it appears that uh, they managed to recruit uh, uh, people in Morocco who spread that message that the fight was 
a fight uh, to to ensure the safety of the religion against international communism. Franco managed to strengthen that message by organizing the pilgrimage to Mecca. That it was sponsored by by Franco. They sent many Moroccan people to to do the Hajj in Mecca, and uh, uh, they used that in in their uh, pro-Islamic uh, propaganda among the Moroccans. And it helped the, that the ship that was going to carry the, the Muslims uh, to, to Mecca was uh, the subject, or at least was in the neighborhood of a Republican air, aerial bombardment. So then the nationalists tried to portray the bombardment as, look, look, uh, these communists, they are trying to, to, to bomb the, the, uh, the Mecca-going uh, ship. Uh, this is only one aspect of how how they're trying to 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 destroy uh, the faith yeah and we had another podcast a couple of months ago with eric calderwood and we talked about how some of this uh, propaganda from the franco regime had actually an influence on the moroccans own conceptions of themselves and their relation to spain as well but you seem to find that this propaganda about the you know that the the communists are the reds are going to come to Morocco yet yet next, which sounds a little absurd, but it it actually did seem to have an effect on some people, huh? Yes, I mean even like decades after the war, these uh, Moroccan veterans uh, thought that they, in that regard, they kind of did the right thing. That uh, these reds, the, which of course the the rojos, that's mm -hmm. how they refer to to the republicans they were all anti they were viciously anti-religion they also accepted of course the uh, the they accepted that narrative and they would refer to how these uh, the republicans killed the priests and destroyed the churches and how they witnessed uh, uh, ruined churches when they fought in spain and then they so that that, that would enforce that image that they were kind of on the right side of the conflict the nationalists, they also had a propaganda campaign inside Spain. This supposedly Christian crusade was using all these Muslim troops. So how did they justify that inside Spain? Uh, that point that you mentioned is actually what got me into doing this research. I was mm -hmm. uh, a student in my second or third year and I was following a course in Spanish history. And then uh, when it came to Spanish Civil War, uh, the professor there was mentioned how uh, this Spanish crusade made use of Muslim soldiers, and I was that I thought that was fascinating, and that's what brought me into doing this research. And indeed, you have these strange images of how uh, a priest would be accompanied by Moroccan soldiers to you know after uh, the, uh, the the lifting of the siege of Toledo, or how the Moroccan soldiers landing in in some Spanish port was received by uh, uh, Spanish ladies who would pin the sacred heart of, of, of Christ on their chest and, and, uh. and whatnot. Uh, but how the, the, the nationalists justify that was going back to uh, the medieval history of uh, Islam in Spain and uh, twisting some of those historical facts in order to, to fit the, 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 the propaganda that they were waging. They would say something like the legendary El Fid who was uh, who was a 
one of the Reconquista heroes who fought against the Muslims, that he had more Muslims in his army than Christians. That in many cases in medieval uh, history of Spain, there were alliances between Muslims and Christians in order to uh, uh, fight in a, in a common cause. So this was not a first, uh, a first time thing, but there were many precedents. Now that's very interesting because it's true that the that it wasn't always as simple the Reconquista as Christians versus Muslims, but it was often presented that way in the um, Francoist propaganda. But in this case, they were also willing to present it in a different way if it suited their interests better. Okay, so we'll take another music break and then we'll look a bit more about what you learned, uh, especially from the people that you interviewed about what the experience was like for these Moroccans that went to Spain. So speaking of um, kind of the perception of these Moroccan troops on the Spanish side, of course, the Republicans had a lot of negative uh, propaganda against these troops, the, the so-called Moors, accusing them of many atrocities, including mass rapes and the killing of prisoners. Was there much basis for these allegations or were they mostly just results of this wartime propaganda and cultural prejudices? Well, it is, it is a mixture of both. I mean, in many cases, uh, there were reports of uh, atrocities committed by Moroccans and then uh, upon closer examination, you'd find that that is either not true or that the atrocity was committed by someone else. Uh, for example, uh, there's this uh, uh, Spanish historian uh, Sanchez Ruano, who wrote a book, uh, Islamic Guerra Civil, and he uh, examined the, uh, the, the mass murder in Badajoz, in Extremadura, and he concluded that the civil guard was actually responsible for it, not the Moroccans, as at the time and years later was, was known. This is what uh, this atrocity took place in, 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 in the summer of 1936. Of course, at, at the in the early weeks and months, there was a frenzy of violence all over Spain, and uh, certainly Moroccans would have been participants in it. But whether in Kale were they bigger perpetrators than uh, than others, I I personally don't think so. I think they they would have been uh, guilty of guilty of as much violence as others were, but probably no more nor less. That was something that struck me about your book as well, because you hear about these atrocities and the links to, you know, the parallels with atrocities committed during the colonial conflicts in Morocco. But then you think that, well, it was actually the Spanish officers that were commanding these units 
in both cases. And so I, I, you also, I think, make the point that um, it wasn't actually the same people. You know, it's kind of a generation later in most cases, the, the troops that were serving. Um, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Correct. Most, well. of, most of the combatants in, in, in the Moroccan units in Spain were youngsters who had no, themselves had no experience in the colonial, uh, in the colonial wars in Morocco in the 1920s. So uh, we could not make the argument that, well, these people had committed atrocities or for them it was like a, a, a matter of habit. No, these I mean, of course, it doesn't invalidate the point. There is also always a, a first time for 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 someone who commits a, a war crime. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, but 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 the link is not as tight with with the colonial war in Morocco as one would have thought. How about the perceptions of these Moroccan troops on the nationalist side? Because even though they were fighting for that side. A lot of these prejudices against Moroccans were pretty widespread in Spanish society at that time. So how did these perceptions shape the way that Moroccans were treated on the national side? The image of the Moroccan and Spanish society on both the national and the Republican side, uh, side is, of course, uh, these, these Moroccan soldiers were seen as, as like uh, uh, savage warriors. Uh, for, the, for the nationalists, it made, it made actually uh, sense to use that image in order to wage a kind of a psychological warfare against the republicans so um at the same time like, like well, this is a, there was a, like a, a a double kind of policy they would use this uh, savage image of the moroccans in order to scare the republicans into 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 fleeing the battlefield but at the same time they would portray them in their own uh, uh press as uh, simpletons very kind you, you know, like they were not fanat fanatics, but they are actually very pious, which is a good thing. You have these uh, pictures of uh, a Moroccan soldiers carrying a Spanish uh, uh, boy in their arms. So I don't know how to do in order to, to portray them as how these are very actually kind people. They are very, they might be very cruel to the enemies of the Spanish people, but they are, uh, but otherwise they are truly very nice. Uh. How about the experiences of these Moroccans? Um, themselves in Spain. Could you share with us um, a few of the, the recollections from some of the veterans that you visited? Did they usually feel uh, respected when, when they were in Spain? When you talk to these veterans, you come with the impression that that episode, the, the, the war episode in Spain was the most important thing they have ever ex uh, had experienced in, in, in their life. That was that they that that episode was also the episode in which they were at their most respected and most important. There is while individually they would not uh, they would tend to kind of being humble about their own uh, feats, but collectively they they have a sense of pride as being as as the Moroccans being the main force multiplier of the of the Francoist army. Mm -hmm. And that uh, they had this sense that without the Moroccans, Franco would not have uh, won the war. Uh, but of course, they were also aware of the fear the population had uh, towards them. Uh, some of them would, for example, say that uh, when they uh, would enter some village, the people uh, would come outside and try to 
to to to look uh, for the tails that they would have because they thought that Moroccans were demons with horns and tails, so they would be surprised uh, as that they that they actually look like normal beings. Did you find that these soldiers usually felt they were pretty well treated by the nationalist army as well? Most of their recollections, uh, in most of their recollections, they they uh, um, they had co quite a, a positive opinion about their uh, immediate superiors, this, uh, uh, and that not only comes from the interviews that I did, but also um, from some of the uh, interrogations, contemporary interrogations, so, so in in 1937 and 1938, that uh, uh, Moroccan uh, deserters interviews that Moroccan deserters gave to French officers in the in the French zone. So so mm -hmm. there were some of these Moroccans who went from the French zone, uh, enlisted in the Spanish army. They got injured and then they didn't want to go back and then they would return to 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 their homes but then they were arrested by the french authorities and they were interrogated and then during the interrogation they would actually praise the treatment they had from their spanish officers although you would think that a deserter would have much more grievance towards his army so uh, these two kinds of sources from different uh, times, both contemporary and six or seven decades later, uh, their majority agree about the proper treatment that they received from the from their Spanish superiors. Mm -hmm. And some of those people are even were even quite positive about Franco himself. Uh, just one last question here: Did you find that um, the treatment of and the deployment of the Moroccans in Spain that you've been talking about? When we think about other uses of colonial troops in other European countries, which was quite widespread during both of the world wars, do you find um, that there are similar patterns there or did it differ significantly from these other um, imperial uses of these troops in Europe? Well, of course, um, there are similarities with the use mm -hmm. of uh, colonial troops, for example, in the French. I think the, the French army is the closest thing, I think, to, to the experience of the Spanish army. Um, so the, the, the French used many uh, colonial troops in the First World War, and of course, in the Second World War. Uh, but, uh, well, um, the similarities, let, let's take, for example, the, the, the interaction with, with civilian population, both uh, in the case of France and Spain. They both try to limit the contact of their soldiers uh, with female uh, European civilians, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and they try to to basically stop any kind of, especially any uh, sexual contact, whether mm -hmm. romantic or with prostitutes, because that would hurt the imperial prestige and the and the and the protective uh, work that uh, the, the protective mission that these European powers, Spain and France were doing in, in, in Morocco. So inevitably, when, when you have these troops for several years in, 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 in a European context, uh, during the leaves they would have, they would go around in, in whatever city they are close to, and they would meet someone and they, they might, uh, uh, that, that relationship might lead to marriage, which the laws at the time did not actually technically prevent, but they, the authorities thought that it was uh, not the right thing to do, so that sometimes they, they, they try to, to prevent that or, or uh, reverse it. Mm 
-hmm. So this kind of similarity exists in relationship in relation to the contact between civilians and, and troops. And you actually found a few cases where Moroccan troops did develop uh, relationships with women from Spain. Is that right? Uh, yes. In one, one very interesting case is mm -hmm. uh, was recounted to me by a veteran in, in Ferta. And he said that, well, his unit was uh, posted to some village in Extremadura and that uh, some uh, one of these soldiers got uh, to know uh, a lady who was relatively rich in that village. And she has she, she had a, like a, a cloth making workshop and uh, apparently the, the majority of the people of that village objected to that relationship and then they protested to the commander of the unit. So he grounded that Moroccan soldier in order to, to prevent him to have any uh, further contact with the, with the Spanish lady. And, but that lady uh, was of a strong character and she drove to, to South Spain and took a ferry to Spanish Morocco where she supposedly uh, met the highest authority, Moroccan authority in Tatuan and managed to convince him to contact Franco in order to pressure the commander of said unit in, uh, to release that soldier and not to prevent uh, the marriage uh, that was going to happen between that soldier and, and the Spanish lady. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that relationship had a happy ending with them marrying and had producing two or three children, I think. It kind of uh, uh, showcases uh, one thing is that is that the majority of people in Spain, but also the, the army was prepared to prevent such uh, romantic relationships, but that sometimes the actors themselves, both parties could cross that cultural boundary and defeat the odds. Right. Wow. That's an amazing story. It was, it was rather the exception, but it, it happened. It could happen. All right. Well, thank you so much. Ali, for coming on the program, I think that these stories um, you've collected, probably people will find them very enlightening because I think that this perception, these stereotypes um, that you often hear about the Moroccans, you know, as being savage and so forth, it, it's quite surprising the extent to which they, they still survive. And um, hearing the stories of their actual experiences, I think it makes us realize that um, their experiences, you know, were actually not that different from other troops um, from really all around the world that fought in the Spanish Civil War. So thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Historias. For additional information about our guest and a list of suggested readings, please visit our website at historiaspodcast.org. Also be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and to follow us on Facebook or Twitter so that you can be notified of new episodes. 